For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we're talking about whether to make your partner pass a test before having kids, how to handle it when you fall for someone else right in front of your boyfriend, and what to do when your friend seems to think she's really adorable and for some reason that bothers you. Here to help me out today is Ophira Eisenberg. She is a Canadian-born stand-up comedian, writer, and host. She hosted NPR's comedy trivia show, Ask Me Another, for nine years. And she's the host of the new comedy podcast, Parenting is a Joke. So funny. Co-produced by iHeartRadio and Pretty Good Friends Productions. Ophira is a regular host and teller with The Moth. And her stories have been featured on The Moth Radio Hour and in two of The Moth's best-selling collections. Hey, Ophira, thank you for being on. My pleasure. So great to see you. So we're starting out these days by asking each guest before we get into the listener letters. Is there a piece of advice that you just want to give unprompted? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. Here it is. Um, Disassociation and escape are also forms of self-care. Say more. Like, you know how they say you can run, but you can't hide? Yeah. (laughs) You can also run. Running's kind of fun. You know, run. Enjoy yourself. I mean, we have to do what we can to get through these days, right? That's right. Uh, and so sometimes I think we we want to solve all of our problems and really dive deep and pay attention to stuff. And I think that's wonderful. But sometimes like a good form of self-care is um, just doing nothing about them for a minute. I feel like I need like tips on disassociation. I'm going to put that on my <laughs> list because it, it sounds relaxing. <laughs> yes, transcendental meditation. Anyone? Yeah, I haven't done it, but I would like to. I get ads on Facebook for it, so I'll make sure to click on them. Isn't that great when you get an ad for something that you're like, another thing I don't know how to do? Thank totally. You. Thank that you. and like Jade rolling my face. Anyway, <laughs> Ophira and I will dive into your questions shortly um, after we get back from this break. The best way to learn a language immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I love how easy it is to use. And as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. 
Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash prudy. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash prudy, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Ophira Eisenberg. Let's dive right in with our first letter. It's called Addie's Mom. My eight-year-old Addie is best friends with the girl down the street, Amy. So Amy is constantly over at our house. Her home life is complicated. This is her mother's third marriage, and there are step-siblings and half-siblings always coming and going. One is Anna. Anna is two years older than the other girls, and her father has her every other weekend. Amy's mom pushes Anna to come over with Amy to play at our house. The problem is Anna is bossy and a borderline bully. She constantly kicks up a fuss if she doesn't get her way, and the girls fight, meaning I have to intervene. I have a house to run and twin toddlers to take care of. When Anna is over, I have to keep an eye and ear on the girls, whereas when it's just Addie and Amy... I trust the only time I need to call them is for lunch. I've discussed the situation twice with Amy's mom and made the suggestion that when Anna's over, the girls play at her house. Anna still comes over with Amy. I put up with the situation because Addie really adores Amy, and it's only every other weekend. That tolerance ended when Anna stole and destroyed a library book that Addie borrowed from school. My daughter was devastated, and the response from Anna's parents was lackluster and lazy. Anna got a mild scolding, and they didn't offer to pay for the book. I told Amy's mom that Anna wasn't welcome in my home anymore. Just Amy. She shocked me by banning Amy from ever playing with my daughter again. My daughter is heartbroken, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? So I just want to note that I get so many letters from people who are dealing with random neighborhood children showing up at their homes um, uninvited. I just, I feel like it's a symptom of the whole thing about how it takes a village and nobody has a village anymore. So some parents are just like, guess what, neighbor? I've never met you, but welcome to my village. You're going to be taking care of my kid. Um, And my general response is always just kind of, you know, just let the kid come over. Like maybe they're difficult, but if a child is showing up at your house and their parents aren't like checking in on them or wanting them to come home or making sure they're safe, that just tells me they're probably not in a great situation. Embrace them, try to deal with them. That said, I don't have a child who's old enough to have friends yet. And I've never had an invited problematic child show up on my door. So I don't know. Your kid is a little older. What do you think? You know, I, I live in a, an apartment building in New York. There's not a lot of people just wandering into the house, as I imagine it goes on into the suburbs, but a little bit in the hallways. But just even on play dates, I have been there when my kid has been the one acting up in whatever way that I, I feel truly embarrassed by. And I've been on the other end where another kid is, uh, you know, playing with my kid and they're having a hard time. But the first thing I think of when I see this, and I'll try to keep all the A names straight. Yeah, they could have done a better job with these names. It's really confusing. <laughs> it's like a lot of A's and a lot of not A behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay, no A behavior. If these girls are coming over, there's something else going on at that house where that parent is overwhelmed. Having all the kids in the house, I'm sure there's some like, hey, go out and have some fun. Mm-hmm. But what's missing, I think, is 
the conversation. So it seems that, uh, you know, that she told Amy's mom that Anna wasn't welcome in the home anymore. I think that if it's worth it, if it's truly like, how can you help me? I would swallow whatever pride or feelings of, I shouldn't have to do this. And now it's that person's turn to step up Mm -hmm. and try having a real conversation. Mm -hmm. Just one. If it doesn't work out, there's not much to do, but right. just one where it's all like these, these kids are welcome here. I'm just having a hard time managing. I'm also overwhelmed. You know, try to get on the same page of both saying what you're up against and being empathetic. Totally. I just think it sounds so hard to have to deal with the parents of other children. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> I've actually thought back on my own childhood and thought, Wow, my mom kind of like hung out with these other women who are like the the moms of my good friends. And I wonder if she actually liked them. And I wonder if she actually had anything in common with them. And I wonder if she wanted to be like negotiating the sleepovers and curfews and all that stuff. You know what? I think exactly the same thing. And my mother had me older, which, you know, was much more rare at the time. So she was at least 15 years older than all of these other parents. And although very social, uh, yeah, I don't think she was like psyched (laughs) to have to deal with people in very different lives. And I, I found it very hard to bond with other parents because it's a little unnatural. You're like, what do we have in common other than the fact that there's this proximity where our kids have met each other because they are the same age or whatever it is. And then add on, I don't even like one of your kids. You know, she's she's over here (laughs) destroying library books and you don't seem to care. I had like an unconventional idea. I was just thinking like, maybe the letter writer could just call Addie's mom's bluff. I don't think she wants these girls home and sad any more than the letter writer does. So I just think that like eventually I like this. You're sa- you're playing chess here. You you're a strategy. You don't believe that she wants to ban these kids at all. That's right. I don't believe she wants to ban these kids at all because she doesn't want them home. Like clearly we're getting the vibe that her home is a place that um isn't equipped to deal with all the random step siblings and half siblings that are coming in and out. And it's like when a parent grounds a kid, like, do you really want to deal with the kid sitting there with no tablet and no friends and no TV? You're punishing yourself. Let me tell you, Janae, we took uh, the iPad privileges away from my son this morning, and uh, I am already knowing that we both have some work to do later today. Yeah. Dreading that move. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I I think there's a possibility that this will just blow over and the child you like will actually be able to come back. But I also just wonder, and I know this is asking a lot, and again, I've never had to do this myself, if you can have that conversation that Ophira suggested, which is just like, how can we come together to help this girl just not terrorize the other kids when she comes to my house? You know, what can we do? How can we help it be for less time? Um, How can we communicate better so that I can send her home if she's like tearing books off the bookshelf? There has to be a middle ground here, right? Yeah. And then, you know what? I'm going to throw it out there based on child psychology books that I've been reading. So a little bit through my lens still to the person who wrote in, I am interested in you solving this. They did write, my daughter is heartbroken. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And I just, uh, I would take a step back from putting such an intense emotion on Mm. a small child. Kids have a lot of big emotions and things feel, can feel a lot more emotional because the world is just a little bit smaller and they're they're kids. So I think continuing on that, 
idea that the child is heartbroken is going to make things harder. Because I hear in that that the parent has a lot of guilt and might be putting some emotion on their kid. That's such a good point. It makes the situation feel so intense and overwhelming that it's almost impossible to deal with, right? That's right. Instead, if you just say, you know, my daughter misses her friend and she'd like to see her, that feels like a little bit of a more manageable way to get into the conversation. Which is probably the truth. Mm -hmm. Also, just as like a bonus suggestion, um, maybe (laughs) just, I know that you can't just assign a friend to a child, but maybe helping to nurture some other relationships for your daughter could help get through this point um, when she might not be seeing her friend as much until you and the mom hopefully can see eye to eye. That's right. Okay. Hope that helps. Um, Our next question is titled Parent Trap. I 90% don't want kids. I love kids, but after the pandemic, I realized I just don't want to deal with everything that comes with having to take care of them 24-7. My boyfriend and I have been talking about marriage and kids. He says he really wants them. I was very frank and told him that I didn't think he had been around kids enough to know how to take care of them. He said he thought he did. He's generally good at doing things that need to be done, but when he gets overwhelmed, he will absolutely stop and go do something to, quote, unwind, even if stuff still needs to get done. I reminded him of this. He knows he does this, and he said it would be different when we had a child. I told him that men say that all the time and then are completely overwhelmed. He kept saying that that wouldn't be what happens. So I came up with an idea to show him what it would most likely be like having kids. He could take care of everything in our home except for things I absolutely have to do myself. Planning, cooking, cleaning, laundry, all of it. If he did that, I would start discussing having kids. He did not like this at all. He said it wouldn't be at all like having a kid, and he felt, quote, disrespected for having to pass a test to have kids. I get where he's coming from, but I also think it's a good representation of the added work he slash we will have to take on with one or two kids. What do you think? Good idea or disrespectful? It's just funny to me that the two options are A, good idea, or B, disrespectful. (laughs) So there's this assumption that it's definitely a wonderful way to determine whether someone should have a child. Um, So no, it's not a good idea. And it's disrespectful. And also, it's a ridiculous exercise when it comes to decisions about having children. It reminds me of that. um, Did you ever do like the flower baby exercise in middle school where in like your sex ed class, they would give you a bag of flour to carry around for a week in eighth grade. So you could like experience being a parent. And I guess it was supposed to be so hard that you wouldn't want to have sex. No, I think they all just were like, good luck, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do remember I was kind of obsessed. What I don't know what year that was. The Tamaguchis, which was like a little, you yeah. know, your little pet. Mm-hmm. And you had to n- nurture it digitally. And then it would die if you didn't feed it or something. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But I mean, honestly, there's part of me that loves this mm-hmm. so much. Say more. Because this person is trying to problem solve in a really pragmatic way. Mm -hmm. And I could tell this person they are a very quantitative, pragmatic person because I've never, ever heard anyone say, I 90% don't want Mm -hmm. to have kids. It's usually like 100 or zero. Totally. (laughs) But 90 is amazing. A 10% margin. Right. And then, and then somehow they can, I don't know what percentage that that's going to go down. If it turns out their boyfriend is like good at handling the cooking and cleaning for two weeks. (laughs) 
I don't think that, I don't know, if I were just like an embryo waiting to be born, I don't think I would want to be born to someone who was like, I 90% don't want kids, but my boyfriend passed this test where like he made the bed every day and took the trash out. So I'll go for it now. But it's a good question. Like, what could you do to prepare? Because I think there is no preparation if you are in a situation with a partner and you're going to uh, potentially have a child enter your life. How do you both go, hey, let's work on a high-risk project together with teamwork that we've never done before? And with all the emotions and anxiety. (laughs) I think that's what this experiment is missing, right? Like, he can just pop in his AirPods and, like, listen to podcasts and cook, do meal prep, clean. Yeah wash the bathtub out. I mean, that's not hard. It's nothing compared to like the emotional intensity and responsibility of actually having a child. I mean, like, I think he should just do all these things anyways, for fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, how about that? Mm -hmm. Do that for a week, but for no test, just the test is a thank you. cleaning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe buy a very complicated piece of IKEA furniture, put a timer on, mm. also adopt a very old pukey cat, mm-hmm. see how that rolls for 24 hours. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the test is out there, but to your point, there's no test. It has to be a cat that needs like eardrops every three hours. That's right. Eardrops, and diabetes. Also, shots. pees everywhere. That would <laughs> okay. get you close. But seriously, I think if you 90% don't want kids, listen to that voice. Listen to that voice. Don't let anyone try to convince you. I think that's like such an important instinct and it's so powerful. And the fact that you've come to that conclusion um, in a world and a society that makes it seem like you're definitely supposed to have kids and that not having them is a weird option. Listen to your instincts. Absolutely. It's okay to just have your perspective on this and then evaluate whether you and your boyfriend are a fit. This is a, not a middle ground issue, right? Yeah, exactly. It should first be 100% with you and then take the next step of, do I have the support system and the, uh, everything around me to help make this happen? But you got to start, if you're looking for an external factor to convince you, it's not right. Right. I'll even go a step further. And listeners know that like I'm not supposed to just tell everyone to break up because that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> Um, So I try not to, but... Quit your job, break up, (laughs) Yeah, not to be like a complete negative Nancy, but I'm worried about the dynamic of this relationship aside from kids. Like you putting your partner through this exercise to test him and like giving him assignments. Whenever one partner is giving the other one assignments and like keeping score, I think you're already going down a really bad path in terms of how you relate to each other. So I'm not saying you have to break up right now, but I am saying this is like this disagreement and sort of your lack of regard for his ability to know what he's ready for without proving something to you is just raising a tiny red flag Mm. to me. Right. You think that there's two letters wrapped up in Mm -hmm. this one letter. And the second letter is uh, someone has been keeping score. Yeah. And this person has not been ranking high. Exactly. So yeah, hopefully you two will not become someone's parents with this going on. Best of luck. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. 
Ramps business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramps software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like book bans. The book banning side. They have an incredibly well-oiled machine. Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health. Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family. New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, that's slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Ophira Eisenberg, to answer your letters. Okay, Ophira, are you ready for friend or foe? Ooh, enticing. Yes, I am. Here it goes. A few months ago, I went out to a bar with my boyfriend and his friends. We were all laughing and joking around when one of the friend's co-workers, Jake, came over. He and I started talking, and it was pretty clear to everyone that sparks were flying. Although there was nothing flirty about my behavior, we just clicked. My boyfriend, whose relationship I had been questioning for about a month, made me leave early and picked a fight with me. I went home and found a friend request from Jake. We talked very innocently for a few days, and then I broke up with my boyfriend. I immediately started dating Jake. I revealed this to my friends over the weekend. Some of them were shocked at the series of events and told me I was a bad person for what I did. I didn't understand what they meant, so they told me I shouldn't have been flirting with a guy I met while I was out with my boyfriend, and a couple even thought I started dating Jake before breaking up with my ex. These are friends who have all made comments about my ex not being right for me. Jake is the first guy I've dated that I feel is a true fit for me. 
I thought my friends would be happy. Only one of them was kind of close with my ex, and the others didn't really like him. Are my friends right? Does the sequence of events make me a bad person? I can't believe my friends aren't happy that I found a guy that is a great match for me. I would love to get this person on the podcast because there's so many (laughs) things I have questions about. So I'm just like nitpicking every line here. Number one, you just sat there engaging in public sparks flying in front of everyone. Like everyone saw you having a connection with someone other than your boyfriend in his face. That's just, that's really bold. Um, Number two, your boyfriend made you leave. I don't like that. I want to know more about that dynamic. Number three, you did not just innocently talk after sparks flew. You knew exactly what you were doing. That was, there's no innocence after sparks fly. And number four, I can't believe your friends told you you were a bad person. I mean, that's not what friends do. We just pretend you made the right choice, like against all the evidence, right? Like you're an angel. Don't worry about it. You're fine. You got to chase your own happiness. Anyway, those are all the many thoughts I had before I even got to responding to the letter. What about you? Yeah, I I read this and I decided to take like the most idealistic, romantic, um, you know, kind of fun version of it. And I was a little bit like, hey, this is how it happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're with someone, clearly is not perfect, and then you meet someone by total random luck, coincidence, that you connect with. Now, are they connecting with that person because it is this like kind of magical connection that you have with a bunch of people in this world? Or is it the fact that their relationship is really um, not going well and this person in the moment provided just, you know, something that's that um, satisfied that hunger? Mm-hmm. Don't know, right? Because there is that thing too where if someone's afraid to leave a relationship simply because they're afraid of being alone, mm-hmm. it, they will just do the old crossover. Yeah, I get the next one lined up. Dealing with whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about that, but just pretending they, they're at a bar, you know, there's hearts in the air. It's something special. It is the kind of stuff that rom-coms are made of. The fact that the boyfriend tune was attuned enough to see this happen makes me think it was very overt. Very. It couldn't just be conversation. It was outrageous. It was outrageous. (laughs) So I too was like, what does that look like? But, you know, and then you break up with that person to go out with this new person and the new person wants to go out with you. I mean, sorry, friends, like kind of be quiet. Yeah. Agreed. Be quiet. You're You're not a bad person. Timeline, it's tight, but whatever. Right. I mean, this is what this is what you hope someone does, right? Like yeah. in an ideal world, like I guess you meet one person and then never like anyone else and stay faithful to your person forever. But other than that, like if you're going to move on, I mean, this was done pretty responsibly. It wasn't I mean, it wasn't 100% perfect, but there's not like come on, we all live in the world. We all know a million people who yes. have like cheated for months and months on end and had full-on affairs, and maybe people have lived double lives. This is really low on the totem pole of like monogamy offenses. Yeah, I know people, too, that can't even have a spark with anyone because their standards are too unrealistic Mm. or high. So, I mean, there's also the fact that her friends, their friends, don't know, um, made them feel bad and that Jake was not a good match for them Mm -hmm. that they vocalize that. Right. Wow. I am surprised you are friends with those people. I think we're, I think we're drilling down on something. This is really a letter about friendship. 
And I don't think these are good friends. No. These aren't the kind of friends I want, right? No. Um, and matter of fact, that is some very sensitive stuff. I do remember I did tell a very close friend of mine that I did not like her boyfriend and had the reasons. And you know what she did? What? Rightfully so. Kicked me out of her life. Yeah. I'm always telling people this. If you hate your friend's boyfriend, what do you do? Fake it. Quiet. Don't say a peep. Yeah. Because that's just how humans are. Like they'll, she will choose him over you. That's right. And you know what? She married that guy. So there you go. Would she be listening by (laughs) any chance? (laughs) Who knows? A lot of friends. Let's just say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe looking back who, if I'm going down this romantic, uh, lullaby maybe looking back she'll be like you know what those weren't the right friends but at least they brought me this person right at least at least they got me to jake i think if your friends aren't if they aren't happy for you and if they aren't willing to give you a little leeway and like just be your cheerleaders a little bit more than is logical even you probably need to surround yourself with some different people i just think everyone is on their own journey no one has a perfect romantic journey without ever being a little bit of the bad guy And to hold your friends to that standard, um, I think, suggests that you maybe don't like them or really want the best for them. I'm reading a lot into this, but I think the letter writers should go on and be happy. Yeah. Maybe look for some other ladies to hang out with. Yeah, because you know what's really fun? Having like a fun new relationship. You should be able to enjoy that without hearing all of this uh, noise around it. I mean, can you imagine just your friend texting, you are a bad person? I mean, who? that doesn't happen. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Block it all out, letter writer. Yeah, a thumbs down. Um, and if you end up breaking up with him, well, you know, you had your experience. You learned your lesson. We all have to be on our, our own journey. Yeah. Okay. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. We have reached our last question. Ophira, are you ready for it? Oh, boy. Big finale. Let's do it. It is titled, Ood Out. I'm a child-free, neurodivergent woman in my 30s who moved to a new city last spring. I have a wonderful partner, but he works long hours and doesn't really enjoy thrift shopping, flea markets, bookstores, museums, etc. like I do. So I wanted to find a friend to do those things with me. I met a woman about my age called Shay on a dating site with an option for platonic friends. I was looking for friends only and she was looking for everything, including friends. We have a lot of common interests, and I really enjoy hanging out with her. Except there's something bugging me that I have trouble even articulating. Shay is a nice, fun person, but very physically unattractive, even aside from the fact that I'm not attracted to women. Shay, on the other hand, is pansexual, although she has never been in a relationship. And she says a lot of things that I don't know whether to interpret as flirting, but Either way seem to indicate that she sees herself as extremely cute and little, despite being neither. Some examples include talking in this weird, high-pitched, yet hoarse, elderly baby-type voice about either herself or cute animals, making nom-nom noises while eating, talking loudly about how full her tummy is and rubbing it, talking about wanting to curl up and go nappy-by when she's tired, tilting her head, framing her face with her hands and squinting her eyes when she says something she thinks is cute and saying things like, I'm a contented little cupcake after we go to a cupcake place or I'm a happy little duckling after feeding ducks in a park. 
This is probably going to make me sound monstrous, and I promise I show no outward sign of it, but I have this really weird whole body disgust reaction to this. I have impulses, which I easily restrain, to slap her or tell her that's immature and undignified and gross or that no one is ever going to want to date someone who acts like this. I have suspicion this may be related to my having been molested as a toddler because I'm similarly repulsed by adult babies and the like. Regardless, it definitely diminishes my enjoyment of our friendship, and I wonder if I should try to ask her not to do these things around me. But I don't know how to phrase it without sounding crazy and terrible and or hurting her feelings. Shay is extremely sensitive and has had a sad life. She still lives with her bedbound but highly controlling mother whose slave she pretty much is and almost never gets to leave her house, let alone go anywhere more fun than Walmart, before she met me. She talks all the time about being horny and wanting a boyfriend or girlfriend, which oddly doesn't gross me out anywhere near what the cutesy stuff does. And as someone who overcame a rough start in life and mental differences to achieve normality and happiness, I feel like I could really help her. But then I wonder if I'm deluding myself and Shay would be happier and better off without me in her life. Any advice? Okay, letter writer. You're a great writer because you have just thoroughly and clearly conveyed your absolute disgust with this woman who is supposed to be your friend. I'm shocked. I just, I can't imagine hanging out with someone who made me feel this way. I thought about this too. In in some ways, I was like, I know that kind of feeling of having, seeing someone do something that somehow uh, affects you on a physical level of disgust, but the way this person was so specific. So vivid. And truly efficient with their words. Um, yeah, it paints a whole picture. Also, their activities the cupcake places and the feeding ducks in a pond, as well as all the other things. It's honestly, it sounds to me, although a friendship, it sounds to be, it almost sounds like a married couple. Seriously, on some level. I think that's part of what's going on here. So here's my theory. There was so much in this letter about like this quote unquote gross behavior that Mm -hmm. I had to take a step back and look at the whole narrative, which is that the letter writer says they went on an app to find a friend because their boyfriend was busy all the time. Yeah. So I believe that Shay is filling a romantic hole in their life. Also, Shay was looking for friends and dating partners. So they're doing these kind of like cupcakes, feeding ducks. I don't know. These sound like slightly datey activities to me. Agreed. And I think the letter writer is grossed out, not just because of who Shay is, but because they've allowed themselves to be in this like quasi dating situation with Shay. And they know Shay is attracted to or interested in them. And that's what's making all the behavior so off-putting because the attraction isn't shared. Nailed it. I think you nailed it. Also, you know, right. So then you find someone with your interest, but it it just sounds like it is there. They, it sounds to me like they are each other's entire world. Right. The way that this is written. There's so much detail. There's so many activities. Also, the final question, I understand like, you know, basically should I cut this off or keep going? Yet there's a few other things here. It's like, I feel like I could help her. Hmm. In interesting, there's a lot of weight in that kind of statement. But then there's, where am I deluding myself? And she would be happier, better off without me in her life. I, I actually didn't really understand that because it didn't sound to me like Shay was not benefiting. Right. It sounded to me from her point Shay's of view. Shay's having the time of her life. 
Jay's having the time of her life. Yeah. Being a cute little duckling. So <laughs> why would she be better off? Unless it feels like there's someone's leading the other person on. Right. In a disingenuous way. Right. I just wonder, how did they even get to this point of being this close? <laughs> like you match on the app and it's kind of nothing offensive on the profile. You go on your first right. cupcake excursion. There are these like <laughs> disgusting comments, you know, horribly cutesy comments made. Why did these hangouts keep happening to the point where you're like practically best friends? Or more without the, all the intimacy without the physical, right. potentially. Right, If we just go to the beginning about like, I have a wonderful partner, works long hours and does not enjoy, here's seven things I love doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, well, what, what, what do you, what do you guys do? Right, you don't. He doesn't spend time with you, but um, if if he did have time after work, he wouldn't want to do anything that you do. <laughs> None of the things you enjoy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's se- there's several layers of issues here, and I think the letter writer is like, I agree that the focus on Shay being happier is kind of out of left field when the question should yes. be, do I want this relationship? And of, right. I just want to be clear about the answer to like, is it okay to ask her to change? Absolutely not. No. One, rude. Two, mean. Three, disrespectful. Four, it wouldn't work. This is her whole personality. It's not like you're just asking her to like close her mouth when she chews or something small that's grossing you out. You're asking her to stop being who she is. And nobody said you had to spend all your time with this woman. No, and we're like, if someone hurts you, you can be like, hey, when you did X, right. it hurt me, and you know, I want to talk to it. But that this is just being like, I don't like that I'm disgusted by that there's something about this person. But if we reread this about, uh, let's just say, like an affair, like a, mm. a, a, a fully formed physical a, a relationship is not totally working out. Mm-hmm. It reads very different. It's like, this is what irritates me, this person. I'm not as attracted to them as they are to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're doing this, we're doing that, but I'm just finding this more and more irritating. But I think I feel sad for them. Right. Like, what should I do? Yeah, the answer is so clear because this is a pattern we always see in letters about relationships. I'm with this person. They have 75 qualities I don't like. Can I force them to change? And it's like, nope. It's not, dating is d- dating is your opportunity to get to know someone and find out if you like them. And if the answer is no, what you do is stop dating, not like form them to be the person who you are. That's right. So I do think it really clarifies things if you look at it through that lens. Yeah. And also, I got to say, I'm happy like a little duckling. Sort of adorable. It is sort of adorable. And I wanted to end <laughs> on that note. There is someone out there who would absolutely adore Shay, find yeah. her just totally precious and really love spending time with her. Um, and like set her free to to find that person. And you can find someone who, you know, 99% of people in the world who don't say these things and they can be your friend. And also, if I could somehow remaster my life that it involves thrift shopping, flea markets, bookstores, museums, cupcakes, and feeding ducks. Right. It sounds idyllic. Who needs a boyfriend or a friend <laughs> when you have all that going on? <laughs> All right. Those are all the questions we have for this week. Um, As always, I really hope we've been helpful. Thank you, Ophira. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Janae. Listen and subscribe to Ophira's podcast, Parenting is a Joke, where each week she talks to a different comedian about their career and their kids. She celebrates the absurdity of shuffling a career with raising a kid. It truly is absurd. And highlighting less traditional parenthood journeys, all while relishing in the fact that no one knows what they're doing. But we're all trying. 
Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. And you can join us for the Dear Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. And you can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.